Tonight on Huckabee, actor and film producer Nick Searcy, the creative comedy of David Pendleton, Karen Knotts pays tribute to her famous dad, country music makers High Valley. Trey Corley in the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Bilbrey. And now, here's Mike Thank you and welcome. We're going to have a great time tonight. Now, it's just been over a year since a protest over the lack of transparency of voting in the 2020 election turned violent on January 6th in our nation's capital. Now, of the tens of thousands of those who were there to protest, the number of those who actually crossed the line of peaceful protest into criminal trespass, vandalism, or assault of a police officer was a very tiny little fraction, maybe at best in the hundreds. But to hear Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, Kamala Harris, or the mainstream media describe it, it was the darkest day in American history, equaling or surpassing 9-11, Pearl Harbor, or the Civil War. Supercharged and hyperbolic rhetoric is a normal thing in politics, but Things said about January 6th of 2021 have ventured into the twilight zone and deep into crazy town. I mean, look, first, what happened that day was most certainly not an insurrection, if one means that there was an attempted takeover of the government. Webster's Dictionary does define insurrection as an act or instance of revolting against civil authority or an established government. It was an instance of revolt but most certainly not an attempt to overthrow the government. Because if it were, it was even dumber than when I first stated that I called the actions of some of those that day overheated chuckleheads who behaved in boneheaded, hurtful, and destructive behavior. And it did, in fact, sometimes cross the line into criminal actions. No one denies that. But are you aware that despite the pearl-clutching hysteria of Nancy Pelosi, there were no firearms confiscated from protesters that day? Did the people who breached the security lines really believe that they could take down a nation? And I'm talking about a nation that possesses a standing army of about a million and a half personnel who are armed with highly sophisticated weaponry, tanks, bombers, ships, and nuclear weapons. And somehow they were supposed to be able to do it with flagpoles and fire extinguishers that they grabbed off the wall when they went in. Folks, that's just plain crazy. That was not an attempt to take over the government. Now, you've probably heard the repeated lie that several Capitol Police officers were murdered by the rioters. That is a lie. Officer Brian Sicknick was pepper sprayed, but he returned to his office that day and reported that he was fine. He died the next day, but the coroner ruled that his death was unrelated to the riot. There were two people who were killed by violence that day. Both of them were protesters. One was Ashley Babbitt, an unarmed Air Force veteran who was shot at close range by a Capitol Police officer. 
The officer refused to participate in any internal affairs investigation. And amazingly, his name was kept private for months. But when it was all said and done, he was cleared of wrongdoing, despite many questions that linger as to why he gunned down an unarmed woman. The other person was Roseanne Boylan, a protester from Georgia. She was crushed and trampled when the crowd was pushed back by police officers who continued to advance against the protesters despite repeated cries for help to be given to her. Look, I'm going to be very clear. I haven't and I will not defend those who breached security at the Capitol or who broke doors or windows or who occupied congressional offices. But neither will I be silent when the real insurrectionists who used their government-funded offices to shred the constitutional rights of free speech, freedom of religion, or protection against illegal search and seizure against citizens, some of whom have been held for months in untenable jail conditions, not even with proper medical attention or access to their attorneys, and being held for misdemeanor charges. I forcefully spoke out against those who broke the law on January 6th of last year, especially those who assaulted police officers or destroyed public property or broke into congressional offices or threatened elected officials. But don't insult the intelligence of the American people by pretending that the actions of a very few people that day were actually worse than Pearl Harbor, while ignoring the fact that if it was an insurrection, not one person has been charged with that crime or even the crime of terrorism. And some who espoused such nonsense defended the riots that happened throughout the summer of 2020, including Kamala Harris, who actually raised money to pay bail for rioters who burned police cars, assaulted cops, and looted private businesses. Law and order ought to be the same for everyone. I don't care what their political views are. And it also ought to be the same for elected officials. In fact, maybe especially for elected officials. Well, earlier this week, the founder of a militia group was arrested by the FBI, charged with sedition related to the riot at the U.S. Capitol last January. Now, he's the first person to be charged with such a serious offense in connection with January 6th. But thousands of other patriotic Americans were there that day just to make their voices heard and to exercise their constitutional rights. And many of them have been treated like terrorists. My first guest tonight was there himself. He's an award-winning actor and filmmaker. And he says he wasn't there to make a movie, but this is a story that had to be told. Please welcome back to the show, producer of the new film, Capital Punishment, Nick Searcy. You know, if, if I read through all the movies that you have either acted in, produced, directed, we wouldn't have time to even have a conversation. Yeah. Every once in a while, I get a job. It's not <laughs> you're that one of the, often. No, you're actually one of the busiest actors in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And I guess what's amazing is that you have been 
unapologetic and unabashed about your own personal conservative views. So that makes you a real odd duck in Hollywood, doesn't it? Yeah, I can't figure out if I'm just not famous enough for them to know who I am or what, but I, I managed, uh, somehow I managed to slip by. I mean, I'm sure there's certain things that I might have gotten if they didn't know, but you know, I'm doing okay. Let's talk about January 6th. It was a year ago. Uh, we've heard all the hyperbole that it was worse than 9-11, worse than Pearl Harbor. You were there that day. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think you were at Pearl Harbor, but you certainly were around for 9-11. Right. Was, it, was it as bad as that? No, and that's kind of how the movie came about. I went there with a friend, not, not with the idea of making a movie, but just because we wanted to be there and see what happened. And I shot a few little iPhone videos and stuff, just like a tourist. And then when I got home and watched the news, there was nothing on the news that matched what I'd seen. Yeah. And that's what kind of generated the idea. It's like, we need to tell the other side of that story because they are only focusing on a very small sliver of the crowd that day. And I mean, you'll see in the movie that, that there were probably two million people there. I two mean, million? Yeah, probably, I mean, that's wow. what most estimates of the people we talked to. And it's like, why, why won't the media tell you that? You know, they, they focus on the few hundred who actually went in the Capitol and there's millions of people there. At least hundreds of thousands. So we're talking a small, small percentage. Yeah. And I think a lot of the people, I mean, part of the question in my mind, what we go into in the movie is like, who were these people really? I mean, who were mm -hmm. the people that were going in? I mean, some of them, yes, they were Trump supporters, but who kind of led the charge in a sense? And, and there's a lot of very suspicious characters in the movie that, uh, you know, one of them made the papers this week, uh, Ray Yeah, Epps. Ray Epps. Yeah. And, and he's not been charged with anything, but he is on camera yelling at people, go in the Capitol, go in there. That's what we're here for, to go in there. Yeah. Well, what's up with that? And another thing that he did that's not been reported is that he, he was at the Capitol building long before Trump's speech ended. He was over there 15 minutes early, and he was telling people to take down all the fencing hmm. and all the signs that said restricted area so that when the people walk from the speech over to the Capitol building, all the signs that said do not enter restricted area had been removed by Ray Epps. So a lot of these people are being charged with entering a restricted area, and they're saying, we didn't know that there was no signs that said I couldn't go there. Nick, one of the things that's been very troubling is that there have been people held in the metro jail of Washington, D.C. for months in conditions that are no less than squalor, mm -hmm. not given medical attention, not able to have adequate conversations with their attorneys. Yeah. Is that part of your film? Do you try to get into some of the things that have happened to these folks who were arrested? Well, we talked to one man who spent three weeks in solitary confinement in there, and he describes the conditions. I mean, we couldn't really talk to anybody that's incarcerated yeah. because we couldn't gain access to them. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the man talks about the, the insect-infested bedding. It's like he couldn't set his bologna sandwich down that they gave him without the the bugs swarming all over it and lack of plumbing and lack of access to a shower. I mean, it's real third world torture chamber stuff. It, it sounds like backstage here at the show. I didn't it, know if it was. I was about to there. say, yeah. you know, um, but I, I didn't want to. You know, it's, it's rough back there. You know. it, it is. It can be pretty tough. What was the biggest surprise that you had? You were personally there. So yours is not from having heard the news accounts. You were there. What was the biggest surprise from what you saw? and what the media reported? Well, when I was there, I saw a lot of people praying and 
praying for the country, singing in the Star Spangled Banner, Pledge of Allegiance, people singing hymns. And it was a very joyful, happy crowd. Yeah. And, and also the diversity in the crowd. There were Chinese Americans for Trump and blacks for Trump. And, and just to see this, it was, it was, a, it was like a tailgate party to mm. me. It was like, it was fun. And to see the way it was depicted on television, it's like they didn't show you any of that. And it's like, okay, I understand if you want to show the bad things that happen, but why don't you show the good stuff too? I mean, that's part of the story. Yeah. You know, you, you have a crowd there that that 99.97% of them were patriotic and peaceful and 0.003% were dangerous. It's kind of like the virus. And, and I do think it's significant. <laughs> they got that. They got that. <laughs> but I do think it's significant that, you know, in all of this huge crowd of people, there were no weapons confiscated by weapons, no firearms. No. There were no, nobody was there with rifles, guns, pistols, like they were going to go charge the Capitol no. and kill a bunch of people. And most of the people that I saw there were, they were our age. You know, we were armed with like polygrip and <laughs> blood pressure medicine and CPAC masks. And I mean, you know, what, we're going to break into the Capitol and do yeah. what? Take a nap? Yeah. <laughs> What's going on? You know? Nick, I want you to stay with us because we want to continue our conversation. And uh, we'll give you a peek at Nick's new movie right after the break. You want to see it, so do not go away. We'll be right back. We are talking with Hollywood actor and filmmaker Nick Searcy. He's been a strong voice for conservative values in a, well, I think it's fair to say, a very liberal progressive industry. He recently put together a documentary about what really happened on January 6, 2021, as well as following what really has become somewhat of a witch hunt leftist politicians have been putting on to somehow make the Capitol riot seem even worse than it already was. I'm saying that as somebody who thinks it wasn't that good a day for any of us, but a far cry from a, an attempt at insurrection. So Nick Searcy, thanks for staying around. Um, I want to show a little clip sure. from the film. I think it's a good way to sort of start this segment, and then I want you to react to it and give us some background of what we're, what we're seeing. Here sure. we go. Well, what woke me up was a concussion grenade. Those things are, are really loud. I can see the silhouettes about 10, at least 10 on the side of my house. You can just see all the tactical gear and everything. It was crazy. There was flashes and just the loudest bangs on the door. It was like almost shaking the house. My dad was at the door and he was about to open it. And I went to grab my dog. Before I can grab my dog, uh, they handcuffed me. They handcuffed you? Yes. There's a little clip from the film Capital Punishment that Nick Searcy did. Now, this is a, a young kid. Mm -hmm. 13 handcuffed, old girl. 13, yeah. handcuffed mm -hmm. by the FBI. And the description was when they came and arrested her father. Well, it's, it's remarkable, the, the similarity of all the stories. You have these men like Tony Martinez and Derek Kennison 
6 a.m. in the morning, their little suburban neighborhood, armored vehicles rolling down, 20 SWAT team members, they're screamed at to come out of their house. They've got red dots all over their chest. And they're treated like serial killers or yeah. like uh, drug cartel leaders or something. And it, it, it's, it's really hard to understand why they would do that. These are people that have never been arrested for anything violent in their lives. They're decent Christian men. They, they do security at their church. These are people that you would feel safe living next door to. And for them to be treated that way, to me, it has to be deliberate. Did any of these people that you talked to who were treated like that, did they break a window? Did they bust down a door? Did they hit a cop? None of, not, neither Derek or Tony went in the building. They did not go in the building? They didn't go in the building. So what are they, they, well, they were there with first aid gear. Yeah. And they, they helped people that had been cut by flashbangs or whatever the police were firing into the crowd. And they administered first aid. And basically, they, ne they never went in the building. They said that they saw people going in the building. And Derek says in the movie, we thought about it. And Tony said, I don't know, what do you think? And he said, that looks like a trap. I'm not doing that. Hmm. And so they never went in. So what did they arrest them for? What were the charges? I believe it's entering a restricted area. Huh. And they are charged with some sort of conspiracy because they, all, they called each other and said, let's go to the Capitol together. You know, that, that's the kind of thing that's being done. You know, it's like if you call somebody up on the phone and say, what are you doing Tuesday? Do you want to go to the Capitol? Yeah. That's a conspiracy? I mean, it, it really... I, I, I thought there was something in the First Amendment about freedom of assembly. Right. And I believe that is what they're trying to suppress. I believe that's why they're using these tactics. They're trying to demonize and stigmatize these people and to make everybody that went there, like me, to feel somehow ashamed that we were there. You know, that, that what happened that day was this worse than Pearl Harbor, worse than 9-11. It, it's insane, but it's deliberate. It's not just incompetence. They're trying to deter people from ever opposing them ever again. For fear that they're going to be either, if not arrested and jailed, at least ostracized and treated as if they were uh, criminals. And that's another thing that's happening in the, in the movie. You'll see it's like the community is galvanized against them by the media reports, by the way this day is being is it's being talked about. All their neighbors just think, oh, they're, they're violent hate criminals. They're, they're racist white supremacists. And it's, it, it's, it's really painful not only to see what the Justice Department, the FBI is doing, but what their neighbors are doing too. Nick, did you see white supremacists there that day? I mean, you walked around, I'm sure. Did you see anybody yelling racist comments? I did not. I did not see any. I saw a huge contingency of Chinese Americans that we're talking about the Communist Party in China and how we can't do this here. I saw a lot of black Americans. I saw gay Americans. I, yeah. saw, I saw people of all types. And uh, for them to say that it's, uh, it was a bunch of white supremacists, I mean, Tony Martinez says in the, in the movie, he says, my name is an Antonio Martinez, and they're calling me a white supremacist. You know? Yeah, that's a little hard to bite, <laughs> uh, yeah. for sure. Yeah, but it's, it's all part of the strategy. They, they want to demonize these people and make them into supervillains. I'm pretty sure that your film will never be shown on NBC or CNN. How can people see Capital Punishment? It's a, uh, we built a website for it called CapitalPunishmentTheMovie.com. And we did that so that people could access it and, and, you know, Amazon or Netflix can't shut us down or whatever. So it's, it's available right there. And, and I encourage everybody to go and, and support the film, not just because of uh, my personal benefit, but that's the way you get more films like this, hmm. is if you make them successful, people will make more of them. People will be investing in them. People will 
we will get more of these kinds of movies that tell the truth. Are you even able, though, to get into uh, maybe conservative talk? Are, are they afraid of it as well, to even give you a, a voice for this? You'd be surprised. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, we've had a lot of trouble getting, uh, you know, some of our uh, people that you would think were on our side on some of the major networks that, you know, I won't say their name, but you probably know who I am, but <laughs> who, the, who I'm talking about. But yeah, it's been very Yeah, difficult. that Keith Bilbrey, I'll tell you, he, he's a tough one. He's hard to deal with. That's right. But well, yeah, we've had, and I think that's part of the fear that's being instilled. Yeah. They don't want to stand up next to these people and get themselves dirty because, you know, even Ted Cruz said that these are violent terrorists. And it's yeah. like, you know, where does that come from? I mean, that is, that is done out of fear. I don't want to be associated with them. And, uh, you know. They don't want to be associated with Nick Searcy. Well, we're happy to be associated with you, and we're very happy you put the film together. Yeah. People need to see it. Now, you have been with us before, and uh, one of the things we have not asked you to do yet, but we're asking you to now, is to hang out with the band and go and uh, uh, maybe do a little singing and have some fun with them while we go to the break. Would I'd you be willing to do that? Well, this song that we're going to do, that was a song that was played on a loop on January 6th when I was there. Yeah. And so we kind of incorporated the song into the film. There was a lady walking around playing that song over and over again. Everybody was singing it and waving flags. And so, yeah. When they hear it, they'll know it comes from the film. Even more good reason to yep. watch the film. Yep. Folks, give Nick Searcy a great big hand as he goes over to the band. All right. <laughs> and you can learn a whole lot more about Nick's documentary, Capital Punishment, and follow Nick on social media. Here's how you do it. Find everything you need to know at Huckabee.tv. It'll take you right to the information about the film. Keith Bilbrey, I'm telling you, you better tell us what we have coming up or we may put you under arrest. Next, Mike's In Case You Missed It News Stories. Then ventriloquist and comedian David Pendleton. We're not gonna take it. Well, and welcome back. From human hair to taxpayer money, we've got all the news about things that go down the drain on In Case You Missed It. A new Guinness World Record has been awarded to a 225-pound ball of human hair. Whoa. No, Trey did not shave his back. That was not it. <laughs> wow. No, it was actually created by a guy named Steve Warden of Cambridge, Ohio, who combined hair clippings from his salon with donations from an Orlando Comics convention. By the way, Keith, that explains all the blue and the green hair. Yeah, in exactly. The ball. Exactly. And pink. He, yeah, he, he even gave uh, his hairball a name. He calls it Hoss. <laughs> Hoss the hairball. I think he should There's have called it. There's a country song there somewhere. Well, I think he should have called it Harry. I mean, that would have been a better name for it. <laughs> anyway, Steve said he made the giant hairball for the love of his kids and future grandkids. So I guess now it's going to be a family. Heirloom. There you go. See what I did there? I love yep. that. Yep. He also wanted to show that if you have a crazy idea, just do it and don't worry about what other people think. Yeah. 
But if criticism does make you tear your hair out, send it to him. He can use it. Uh, All right. Well, the Travel Lodge Hotel chain in Great Britain has had a surge of bookings after COVID restrictions were lifted. So they compiled some rather, I guess you'd say, infrequent travelers' strangest requests. Ooh, I'd like to hear that. Yeah. Well, one guest wanted to make sure that he had a quiet room. So he asked a staff member of the hotel to go into the room next door and sing loudly to see if it really was going to be a quiet room. Insulation. Yeah. Another guest asked for a child's waiting pool in his room so his pet fish would have a comfy place to sleep. (laughs) I guess that hotel didn't have water beds or he wouldn't have needed that. Uh, Hotels also got some requests to arrange afternoon tea with some pandas. Uh, to make the seagulls outside the hotel sing instead of squawk. That's hard to do in Michigan. It is hard to do that there. (laughs) And also, could the hotel arrange to have a shooting star appear at 10 (laughs) p.m.? Well, of course. Only if it's Alec Baldwin. (laughs) But you would not want that. Too soon? That was way too soon. Maybe, could be, yep. All right, uh, thesmokinggun.com brings us a very different kind of criminal mastermind than usual. For the first time ever, we've got a Hux criminal mastermind who actually is a mastermind. No kidding. His name is Andrew Lloyd. He got sentenced to four years in prison for defrauding the government out of three and a half million dollars in COVID relief funds. Now, here's what's interesting. He invested the three and a half million dollars that he stole, and he did it brilliantly. He bought Tesla stock at $200 that went up to $1,100. And by the time the federal government seized his assets, he had turned the stolen three and a half million bucks into more than 16 million bucks. The government made a 450% profit on his fraud. Wow. You know, Keith, I say forget prison. Put that guy in charge of Social Security. <laughs> there you yeah. Go. yeah. I mean, if we're going to give our tax money to con artists anyway, let's give it to somebody who knows how to show a profit. Let's make a for, deal. Yeah. No kidding. All right. Finally, a thrift store in Denver started to reupholster a recliner, and you know what they found? A cat. A cat in the recliner. Now the cat was hiding inside the recliner. Meanwhile. The family that donated the recliner realized that their cat was missing. And they rushed to the store only to find that it had already been taken to a local animal shelter. The cat has now been reunited with the family. Although, being a cat, I think it would have preferred going with the recliner. I really do. (laughs) Well, before the cat lovers start hissing out here, I'm going to wrap this up. But until next time, always remember... We read the news. Well, up next, Karen Knott shares fun memories of her father, Don Knott. Plus, Canadian country music supergroup High Valley is on Huckabee.
and welcome back. Now, you may have recognized that song that Trey and the Music City Connection happened to be playing as we came back. It's a tribute to Bob Saget, who very tragically and unexpectedly passed away this week at the age of 65. And uh, Bob Saget, of course, the star of the show Full House. And that was the theme from Full House, played by the very best band in America, Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. My next guest, I think, knows more about the great comic Don Knotts than anyone on earth. And maybe, just maybe, it was because he was her dad. She herself is a stand-up comic, also the creator of a one-woman show and a new book about her dad called Tied Up in Knots. She's performing her show March the 12th at the Smoot Theater in Parkersburg, West Virginia, March the 13th at the Metropolitan Theater in Morgantown, West Virginia, which just happens to be the hometown of her dad, Don Knotts. See, you've already learned something about Don Knotts. Would you please welcome his daughter, Karen Knotts. Karen, it's such a privilege to have you here. You know, my guess is most every one of us in this room have grown up absolutely loving and admiring your dad did you ever feel like you had to share him with the world? Oh, I still do. <laughs> Everybody. And, you know, um, of course, I'm very thrilled that I, you know, I, I look so much like my dad, you know. So it's a... Uh, you think you do, huh? Oh, yeah, of course. Well, uh, you know, maybe not now, but what, if I, what about if I do this? <laughs> yes. Now, now you look like Don Knotts' daughter, for sure. But growing up in a household where your dad is so well-known as a funny guy, mm -hmm. was that tough for you? Did you feel like sometimes it just was like, would you just be dad? Was that hard? <laughs> oh, he was always dad. I mean, you know, he wasn't funny all the time. Sometimes he was just downright morose. <laughs> but, <laughs> but he was very supportive. And, you know, I wanted to be on the Andy Griffith Show as a child. I want... I, I wanted to be like little Ronnie Howard, you know, but he, he was not in favor of his daughter having hmm. that. But I, I got this great idea. I decided I was going to put on an audition for my dad. And I went into my mother's closet, and I found a basket and a hat, and I went up to the dinner table where my parents were having a nice candlelit dinner, and I launched into my best impression of Aunt B. <laughs> Andy, Bonnie, there's a big <laughs> basket of fried chicken and pickles and cornbread. I want you to eat it all up. Don't leave a single crumb. I want everyone to be as plump as me. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's Aunt B. That's Aunt B. <laughs> and, and did he say, oh, that's a dead ringer for Aunt B. We're going to take you down to the studio? He said, I'm sorry, but the part of Aunt B has already been cast. <laughs> <laughs> but he did, um, he did let me help cue his lines, which was a big thrill. And I would, you know, I would have a script because he had to memorize a lot of lines because Barney was major in every show. So I would sit there and I would do, act out the characters and he would go, no, no, just do it straight. That throws me off. You know, but <laughs> but, but um, I did go with my, my mother and my brother to the set, and that was very exciting mm -hmm. because, of course, we watched the show, and, of course, it looks very realistic on TV. And, but when we got to the set, I said, oh, my gosh, 
everything looks real until you go into one of the stores on the set and there's nothing inside but cables, lights, and cameras. And I said, Dad, you have such a gift to make everything fake seem real. <laughs> and he said, well, that's because I have real talent. If you want, <laughs> if you want fake talent, you have to go over to Screen Gems. <laughs> You know, I, I have read, and, and I'm anxious to, to read the book because I'm such a fan of the show, such a fan of your dad, and not just from uh, the Andy Griffith show, but the other things that he did, Ghost mm -hmm. and Mr. Chicken, and, and the great comedies that he did with Tim Conway. Right. He had such an extensive career, yeah. but he always played this role of a very nervous person. And <laughs> Was that anything like the real Don Knotts? Well, you know, he had this very, very difficult upbringing. During the Great Depression, they were extremely poor. His older brothers were alcoholics. They uh, mm. had a paranoid schizophrenic father. And so he grew up with that nervousness. And uh. I think, I think, and people ask me, was your dad like Barney Fife? And I say, well, internally, he was, because yeah. he was that child inside that. But, but he overcame all that to become this worldly, sophisticated man who was a movie star. And when people say, was your your dad was just like Barney Fife. Sometimes they think that he was like Barney Fife. And I say, I don't think that Barney Fife could have carved out the career <laughs> that my father had. Not with only one bullet. He could not no. have done that. No, he would have needed more ammo than that yes, for sure. Yes, he would have. You know, I think it's wonderful. Your love for your dad is something that, that I find charming because so many times the child of a famous person resents it and feels like that they were cheated because they didn't get the spotlight. That's not where you are. You, you enjoy going and entertaining people and doing comedy and paying tribute to the father that you loved. Well, you know, we all have, all, all children of celebrities or famous people all struggle with a, their own identity because people immediately want to associate you with that famous person. Mm. And so you have to find a way to break through and, and have them see me, who I am. You know, but my father was so wonderful. He took me out on the road. He did shows. A lot of people don't know that he did live theater. He was doing theater every year. When, whenever he wasn't on TV or film, he was doing theater, legitimate stage, across the Midwest, doing Neil Simon plays and all kinds of funny shows. And he cast me in small parts, and he taught me how to get laughs and how to, you know, he would, he would listen, and after the show, he would say, you know, Karen, I think if you just gave a little more pause before you say that line, it might get a bigger laugh. And he would usually be right. And sometimes he would say, no, no, it was better the other way. Go back to the way you were doing it before, or whatever. Ain't a bad acting teacher to have Don Knotts giving you <laughs> personal lessons. Right. Well, Karen, I know that everyone's going to want to read this book called Tied Up in Knots by Karen Knotts. You can get the book and you can find out where you can see her perform at her website. You might want to invite her to your community to do a performance where you are. Find everything you need to know. Go to Huckabee.tv. There'll be a direct link to Karen Knotts and all her work and performances that are coming up. Keith, uh, I know you've got more than one bullet in your shirt pocket. Why don't you tell us what we got coming up after the break. Oh, I'd be glad to. Next, comedian and ventriloquist David Pendleton. Later, award-winning country music group High Valley is on Huckabee.
Next week on Huckabee, James O'Keefe of Project Veritas and illusionist Keelan Laser. Welcome back, everybody. David Pendleton is a fantastic ventriloquist and comedian. He's entertained audiences all over the world. Now, by the end of his act, you're going to believe that anything can talk, even Trey. Would you please welcome the amazing David Pendleton? Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yes, it is true. I am a ventriloquist. A lot of people ask me as a ventriloquist if I ever use the skill of ventriloquism to pull pranks on people. They often want me to teach them ventriloquism, not so they can perform on stage like I do, but so they can use it to pull a prank on somebody, throw your voice, freak people out. I must admit, as a ventriloquist, it's sometimes hard for me to resist the temptation to pull a prank using ventriloquism. There have been a few times it's been a little bit inappropriate. Like, I'm pretty sure we'll never be asked to be a pallbearer again. <laughs> so like other ventriloquists, of course, I do have little people inside of suitcases. Now, you need to know that uh, ventriloquists generally do not refer to them as dummies. That's not considered politically correct to call them dummies. So if we're going to be politically correct, we would refer to them as wooden Americans. So just... <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. I have somebody I brought along with me here. This is somebody who's kind of become the favorite in my act. Uh, she keeps me on the straight and narrow. Her name is Aunt Tilly. Bring that down. Here you go. Well. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. How you doing, Tilly? What? Say, how you doing? Well, I'm all right. <laughs> I can sit up and take nourishment. Well, that's good. Glad to hear that. I had a little cough the other day, but I'm doing better now. You had a cough? Mm -hmm. I see. What did you do for it? I went to the doctor. Okay. What did the doctor do for you? He gave me a laxative. <laughs> the doctor gave you a laxative for a cough? Mm -hmm. Did it help? Oh, my, yes. Now I'm afraid to cough. <laughs> Doctor gave me a laxative and some Prozac. Oh, laxative and Prozac. Yeah, so I've been going to the John a lot, but I'm feeling good about it. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, how about telling everybody how old you are? Well, I'm 94. 94. That's right. Oh, thank you, honey. Yeah, Miss America, 1948. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Of course, back then, there are a lot less Americans. Okay. Yeah. I used to have an hourglass figure. Now the sands of time have gone down a bit. <laughs> now I have the old furniture disease. The, the old furniture disease. Mm -hmm. And what is that? My chest down dropped into my drawers. Guys. <laughs> yeah. You laugh, it's not funny. Oh, I... <laughs> All right. Well, Tilly, have you ever been, ever been married? No. No, I'm still looking. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know Trey's married back there, but the fellow with the saxophone now, oh my. And that's Tyler. Hi, Tyler. I'm all right. Nice to see you, honey. Thank you. Are you married? 
Well, I'm available. <laughs> You're a nice looking fella. Well, don't thank me, he said it. <laughs> That's kind of creepy, ain't it? Yeah. Yeah. I say so. <laughs> well, there is it. Is it's not the governor. Nice to see you, Mike. Hi, Tilly. Now, uh, Mike and I go way back. Oh, you do? Oh, you remember that, don't you, honey? No, honey, yeah. I don't. <laughs> it's been a long time. <laughs> Long, I knew Mike back when the Dead Sea was just sick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Long time. Hey, Mike, can you come over here, honey? Uh, honey sure. Come on over here. I will. Let's come on over here. I will do that. I just wanted to sing you a little song. Oh, can okay. You're going to sing for me? Yes. Oh, that's yes. wonderful. Trey, you can just, you know, do what you can. Now, just a minute. I'm just going to sit down on your shoulder. Oh, okay. Oh, my. Uh, be careful, My Mike. wife will be jealous, but well, you go ahead. Just stay put. That's fine. I feel a cough coming on. <laughs> Tilly, don't do it. Don't do it, honey. <laughs> I guess she's either going to cough or something. I don't know. It just, it depends. It, oh. <laughs> All right, honey. Here's my song. And most of all, Tilly, thank you for being thank here. You, honey. What a pleasure. A pleasure. Well. Now, to see more of the amazing David Pendleton and to book him for your event, visit Huckabee.tv for all his intro info. Now, Keith, in your own words, why don't you tell us what we have next? Well, coming up, platinum selling country music group High Valley on Huckabee. Welcome back, everybody. High Valley is the highest selling Canadian country music band of all time. Their hit songs, give them a hand, why not? Just to put it in perspective for you, their hit songs have been streamed over half 
a billion times. And they have won numerous Canadian Country Music Association and Juno Awards. Brad Rempel leads High Valley. Please welcome him to the show. Brad, good to have you, you with us. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Thank you. You know, when I think of a lot of the Canadian stars that have come into the country music world, Shania Twain, uh, Anne Murray, Hank Snow among them, but you guys have set kind of the bar higher than it's ever been before. And I don't think most people realize nobody sold more uh, country music from Canada than you guys have. Man, there's been some good bands. And uh, I mean, Shania Twain sold a lot more as a female, for sure. There's been some great artists coming out of there, but we grew up. My mom and dad flew, I actually drove down to Nashville for their honeymoon. Wow. Many, many years ago and brought us back here for the first time in the year 2000 to record our first record down here. So it's cool how even being way up in the North Pole, we were always, Nashville was always kind of the goal. You told me that uh, just recently you played a concert up in your home area of Canada and it was 40 below zero. Yeah. You played outside. Yeah. <laughs> What were you thinking, Brad? I, I don't know what I was, you know, they had this great idea when they called and said, would you like to be on national TV for New Year's Eve? We said, yes. Yeah. Would you be fine playing outside? We thought, oh, Canada, yeah, sure. <laughs> then they said it'll be in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, outside. and uh, sure enough, we checked the weather leading up and it says it's gonna be minus 40, but with the wind chill, it'll be minus 49. And I live to tell the tale. Just how, barely. How did you even sing with that kind if of- If you watch the performance, you can see this uh, large amount of exhaust coming out of my mouth on every single word, but you can also kind of see me just like- That's the craziest thing I've ever seen. Were you wrapped up like uh, the mummy or something? Uh, you know what? I was trying to wear what we call a toque. You know, you all call it a beanie or a toboggan yeah. or a hat. And um, the lady running the broadcast says, and you know that for the broadcast, you'll be taking that off and showing your hair, and I'm like, are you trying to say if people can't see the sideways hair, they don't know who I am? She's like, pretty much, that's what I'm, <laughs> so I had to take it off and freeze my ears too, but. You, you've got a brand new uh, song out that, uh, out of your new album. Uh, you're gonna do that for us in a little while, but before we get to that, who are some of the great influences that, I mean, you, you know, sometimes we forget that people in Canada are listening to country yeah. music from the U.S. Yeah, well, my story's crazy because uh, my mom and dad are, were born and raised in Mexico, Mennonites, like the yeah. horse and buggy Amish style, right? So I'd say, you know, we grew up speaking German with the Mennonite background in northern Canada, moved to Nashville. So you <laughs> might not know this, but we're probably the best Mexican Mennonite German speaking Canadian band in Nashville. <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> So I, I think you've covered a whole new yeah. category, Brad. What a, what a uh, great description. Our, our, our biggest influence was Ricky Skaggs. Growing up, uh, we pretty much had... Uh, who lives right here in Hendersonville. Yeah. yeah. So I remember it was 2014, so eight years ago, we got the call um, that we were going to get to play the Opry for the first time. So mom and dad get to, you know, they were here for their honeymoon. Now yeah. they have to come back, and this time we're playing the Opry. They drive down, they fly down, because you got to drive 500 miles just to get to the airport. 500 miles yeah. to the airport? Yeah. Whoa. So, so they get down here <laughs> just in time, and lo and behold, it's Ricky Skaggs that introduces oh. us for the first time ever. It was the most full circle moment. He is the greatest guy in the world. Yeah. I'm thrilled. We're so excited to have you guys here. High Valley is going to perform in just a moment, and uh, we're so happy to get to visit with Brad. Now, while we're getting set up, Keith Bilbury is going to tell you how you can get the magnificent music, including their new album of High Valley. Keith, tell us about it. For High Valley's concert schedule and to buy or stream all their great music, go to the new Huckabee.tv for details. 
Now, while you're there, be sure to watch an online exclusive performance of Grew Up On That. Now, here to perform their new single, Whatever It Takes, with Trey Corley and the Music City Connection, is High Valley! <laughs> Heart tonight, still be yours in the morning light. Hey, babe, what do you say? We give this love whatever it takes. I could watch you name the stars for hours. Tracing shapes in heaven with your hand. And if you like this clover field of flowers, we'll put all I got down to buy the land. Swing a hammer, climb a ladder Come on, darling, it don't matter Baby, I'll do anything for you Take my heart tonight Still be yours in the morning light Take your sweet old time I can wait forever or whatever you like Take this long shot It's all we got Hey, babe, what do you say? Forgive this love, whatever it takes If this fire I'm feeling's any indication We're about to burn out of control This ain't no temporary love here in the making I can't wait to find out where it goes Take my heart tonight, still be yours in the morning light. Take your sweet old time, I can wait forever or whatever you like. Take this long shot, it's all we got. Hey, hey, what do you say? Give this love whatever it takes. Give this love whatever it takes. 